Father, we thank you that you bring us together to uh, teach us about yourself, that you bring us together to fellowship as your people. And Father, we pray that you will send your word forth today to accomplish what you want it to accomplish. Thank you, Father, that your word has power. It has power to set us free. It has power to teach us how to live for you. And we just thank you, Lord, for your presence with us today. Help me to speak clearly and help us to listen clearly. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Today we're continuing on. Uh, we're doing a series on friendship with God. And we're looking today at the God in the secret place. And the, one of the scriptures that I love is Psalm 91 verse 1. I'm sure it's familiar to most of us. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will live under the shadow of the Almighty. That's actually called the soldier psalm by many people, probably because it has so many amazing promises of God's protection that folks who are going to war love to meditate on it and love to think about the promises that God makes. And I had a question when I was preparing this. What does it mean to live in the secret place? It's obviously important to live in the secret place with God. I remember years ago there was a guy who was a monk, Brother Lawrence his name was, and he wrote a book and he called it Practicing the Presence of God. And this man worked in a monastery. He did washing up. That was pretty much his job. And he he wanted to be aware of God. He wanted to sense God. And he wanted that to just be his habitual lifestyle. And he worked on it. And the book basically talked about the fact that he worked on sensing God's presence. And I think if I had to choose one word, I'd choose the word awareness. David and I, we live together. We're husband and wife. And I find we've been married for over 30 years. We're aware of each other. If David's in the house, I'm aware he's there. If he's not in the house, I'm just aware that he's, he's not there. And I await his return. And sometimes David and I, we can look at each other and we can speak without words because we know we've talked, we've lived together, we've shared together. And so there's this sense of awareness. That's a little bit different with God. You see, David is imperfect and I'm sure you find this hard to believe, but I also am imperfect. (laughs) See, we've got two imperfect people who live together and that means that both of us need to change. So in our relationship, there's give and there's take. You know, it might be David who adjusts to me or I adjust to David. We, we minister to each other's strengths and weakness. But God is a little bit different to that. You see, God is perfect and God doesn't need to change. In fact, God states, he says, I am the Lord, I change not, which is an interesting statement. So we're wanting to be in the secret place with God. It's a little bit different to relating to people because God states quite clearly, he doesn't need to change. He's not going to change. So guess where that leaves you and I? Jesus actually put it like this. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my words. My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that amazing that the creator of the universe, the God who created all things, sustains all things by the word of his great power, will come and make his home with us. 
That is amazing. But there is a condition. You know, this what it says. God calls for obedience. And that is, I find that very, very challenging. I've wrestled with this. I, I want to be God's friend. But how do we obey God? How do we get to the place where God will come to us and make his home with us? And Mark talked about how there's maturity in that. We, we mature. And as we mature, our friendship grows. But I've wrestled with that issue. I can tell you one way we don't do it, and I speak from personal experience. I've gone to have my quiet time, and I make the mistake of walking into the room where my computer is. And my computer and I, we have a bit of a relationship, which can be a problem. And the computer will speak to me and say, good morning, I'm your friend. He says, what are you doing? I say, I'm going to have a quiet time. My computer speaks to me and he says, I have got... 150 translations of the Bible and 1,432 commentaries. I'm thinking, whoa, if I got my hands on that, I could look pretty good, couldn't I? Imagine how impressive I'd be. And so he suckers me in, you see. So I sit down, I open my computer, you know, here's my computer. And, and then he says, you, you, you like to clean your desk, you know, don't you want to declutter, don't you, before you get going with God? And I think, yeah, that's true. So check your email. I think, good thinking. So, <laughs> so I check my email and then, you know, one thing leads to another. I'm looking for a couple of things on eBay and Gumtree. So I flip over there, you know, might be there and pop on the Facebook because God may have put a message for me on Facebook. And before I know it, my time's gone and I'm down to Gurgler. And I think, okay, well, there could be a lesson here. Maybe there's some lesson. But it's an interesting thing because as I talk with people, I find I'm not actually the only one who struggles with this. People say things to me like, I can't live without my iPad or my Android or my iPhone or all these names that I don't even know. I can't live without it. I talk to people and they say, I take this to bed at night. I say, why do you take it to bed at night? They say, well, I might wake up in the night and I want to commune with the whole wide world. I want to turn it on. And I think when we've lost something, we've lost a sense of the wide open spaces with God and the sense of quietness and communing with God. And I've come to the conclusion that technology is an extremely great tool and it's a great servant, but we really need to, con to constrain it and keep it within limits. And that is a bit of a challenge bit of a challenge these days. Some people say, well, everyone's doing it. Everybody has all this technology. And that's true. But just because everyone is doing it, we're Christians. We're God's kids. It doesn't make it good for us. And I've been a little bit challenged by that. I was thinking about this in relation to my computer. What is idolatry? And idolatry is defined as extreme admiration or fanatical devotion to somebody or something other than God. I think, oh, there are times when I could be on the edge for that. You know, like, where is my devotion going? Where is my time going? Who am I spending my time with? And I've decided I actually don't want my computer to be an idol or my connection to the internet. I don't want it to be an idol. I want to be friends with God. I want to connect with God. I want a close relationship with God. And so I've been thinking, well, 
how do, how do I get this? How do I get this relationship that I want? And two things are necessary when we wait on God. God's presence and God's word. And we can just keep it that simple. And now when I want to have my quiet time, I do not walk into the room where my computer will talk to me because I've learned maybe I'm a bit weak, but I stay away from that. I go out in the backyard if it's daylight. I take my Bible with me and I sit there and I want to spend time with God and hear what God's got to say to me. So it's God and his word and me. And I like to keep it that simple. But what I find is sometimes even, even this, it's like it's overkill. I can remember mornings I've sat there and I've been conscious of things that are separating me from God. And I think, what's the answer to this? What's the answer? And I think of this book and I think, I mean, we've all had times when God, we've had a need. God gives us a word. We've got testimonies. I've got some of those too. But sometimes you're sitting there and you think, Oh, I've repented about this thing 559 times. I know there's answers in here. And I'm sure there was a sermon about six weeks ago and it got mentioned, but in one ear and out the other. I think, what am I going to, what do I do? What do I do? Where do I go? Where do I find the answer? And I started to think about this. What separates me from God? Because I could feel this sense of, I'm not as close as I want to be. I want to be closer. I want to be God's friend. And one of the big issues for me, intimacy, personal close trust. Where I come from, there was no trust. I, was, I had no foundation of trust in my life. You know one of the things that used to drive me absolutely bats for a long, long time? That is not what I want. Okay, there's one thing that used to really seriously annoy me. And that's, there's a scripture that says, he that comes to God must believe that he is and believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I just think, how can I come to God believing? Because I've got no trust. So how can I believe? It's just not feasible. It's not on. And I used to think, God needs to change. He needs to prove himself to me like 599 times until I learn that he's trustworthy. And then that builds it into me. But you've got this problem, you see. God says he's not going to change. And I'm the one who needs to change. So I've got a bit of a dilemma here, haven't I? What am I going to do? God won't change. And I was thinking about this and I thought, there has to be an answer. Thank you. So I'm looking for answers. And what I decided was, what I need is, I need weapons. You know these things that, the lack of trust, for example. I need weapons to fight them with. I need something that's going to bring down these enemies in my life because they're keeping me from what I want. I want friendship with God. I want a close relationship with God. I want God to make his home with me. So these things are hindering me from getting what I want, which is a relationship with God. So I thought, I need weapons. I need weapons. And I need them at my fingertips. I need them so that any time of the day or night, I can pick the weapon up and I can use it. Where do I get them? Well, one of the places we can get them, the word of God is a fire and a hammer. Jeremiah said, is not my word like a fire 
and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. I thought, hey, that's good. You know, some of this stuff in my life, it needs a fire. It needs to be burned out. It needs a flamethrower and a hammer. Yeah, I can smash it to bits. I'm starting to think there's answers here in the word of God. And the word of God is the key. It also says the word of God is a sword. It says, take the sword of the spirit, which is our word of God. So take it and run through. I was starting to think, this is good. The word of God, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I thought, look, the word of God, it can go deep to the root of any lack of trust I've got. It can lay this thing bare. So there's an answer and there's weapons, and I can use those weapons. It's really interesting. We're talking about the secret place, and there are two strange things. You wouldn't expect them to go hand in hand, but they do. The secret place and war. Intimacy with God and extermination. Obedience and destruction. It's like the secret place will cost us, and it will take war for us to take it. You think, well, that's pretty strange, isn't it? But the fact is, God, our God, the God that we serve, the God who made the heavens and the earth, he's a warrior king. He wins battles. He overcomes. And guess what? We are his kids. We're his children. And that tells you something. That tells you. Here's a scripture that tells us what God does. He trains my hands for war and he trains my arms to bend the bow of steel. So God makes us men and women who can be involved with him in winning a victory. He makes us men and women who can stand our ground. And I realize I'm going to have to get really serious. If I want this friendship with God, I'm going to have to fight for it. And I'm going to have to put into place some principles that will help me get the thing I want. And war, exterminate, wipe out my enemies, because these things are, they're my enemies. And I realize what I've got to do is I've somehow or other got to take the word of God, the power of God's word, and I've got to turn it loose. I've got to turn it loose against my enemies. And clearly, if the word of God is a weapon and it's a rock and it's a hammer and it's sword, a sword, I have got some work to do. So I started, I started to actually make a list. I listed out the things that I knew were keeping me from God. And I started to collect scriptures. And if I heard something in the sermon, I wrote it down. And I collected and I searched and I researched. And I, what other scriptures that deal with things like lack of trust? I got myself a book. I divided it up into sections. This is only one of many books. But, and I thought, okay, here we go. And I collected these scriptures. But then I thought, I got, I got scriptures in the book. Really, what's the difference of having scriptures in a 2,000-page book or scriptures in the green book? What happens when I wake in the night and the enemy's coming at me or the old stuff's gripping me around the neck? What happens then? It's not a lot of good to me in a little green book. I thought, the word's got something to say about that. It says, your word... Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you? I thought, aha, if I want to win the battle with this word, guess where I've got to put it? I have to put it in my heart. And that means I've got to take these words that apply to my life and I've got to 
learn them. I've got to meditate on them. I've got to think through them with God. And I've got to know them until they're in my heart. Jesus said a really interesting thing to the Jewish people, to the Pharisees. He said, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So if we simply take God's word and put it in our heart and it finds a place in us, it's going to help us to do what God wants us to do. And isn't that amazing that God would give us a tool that we can use to become men and women who can live with God in the secret place. Ordinary broken people can live with God in the secret place because God has given us these tools. I love this verse, a couple of verses from James. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. So the word is involved when we're born again. But it goes on, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save your souls. And I think, ah, the word's got to be implanted. It's got to be in our heart. If it's in our heart, it can save us. It can save me from the things that separate me from this friendship with God I want. And that word receive is actually very interesting. It's the Greek word dekomei. Anyway, someone can pronounce that later. It's got the sense of take, receive, accept, and even welcome. In one of the um, things I looked at, so we are to welcome God's word with, we've got to be teachable. Lord, I want your word to change me. I want to take your word and I want to obey it. So there's an attitude. And we can do that. We can give the word of God a home in our hearts. And that is such a key. It's, it's a real key. So it's the word that's implanted in our heart. And then you see, when it's in my heart, it's available anytime, day or night. You can wake in the night. The word is there. You don't have to reach for something. You don't have to, oh, what was it? What was it? Oh, no. It's there. It's at your fingertips. I remember a few years ago, I, um, I broke my leg out in the bush. And Dave went off and got water and got blankets. And I was alone. And night fell. And I was alone. And I heard later that some people found out that I'd been alone. And they said, only we'd known you were alone. We would have got somebody out there to be with you. And I thought, I am so glad they didn't know I was alone. Because I was not alone. The creator of the universe was with me. And I'd hidden some things in my heart. I'd hidden some of the great old hymns and the choruses and the scriptures. And I, I was nervous of a few things out there. And so what did I do? I sang to God. I took, Jade was talking about it before, I took the choruses and I took the hymns and I sang. I sang with all my might out in the bush. And I thought, that is one of the times I look back on and I think that was a special time between me and God. It was something that at the time was difficult, but I connected with the God who created the universe. We want to, I want to look at a at, um, situation with Saul, where Saul gets to choose. He gets to choose. Liz talked about the apple or the apple maker, and Saul gets to make a choice. Now, Saul was actually the first king of Israel, and he was the king that the Israelites got because God didn't want them to have a king, but they insisted. They said, all the nations around about us have got a king. Give us a king. Give us a king. Give us a king. And God said, no. And they said, no, give us a king. And he said, okay, if you insist, I'll give you a king. 
So God chose this man. He was really a handsome bloke, head and shoulders above everybody else. He did have a few pretty serious character flaws. And on this occasion, God had um, instructed Saul to go out and to kill the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were God's enemies. And any time you look in the Old Testament, you can see pictures. We also have enemies. And I talked about the enemies that I've had in relation to finding God in the secret place. So there's lessons in this. So God instructs Saul through his prophet Samuel, and he says, attack the Amalekites and wipe them out. Totally. That's it. Nothing lives. Just wipe them out. And so Samuel goes off, and what he does is he doesn't, he doesn't obey God. He kills off most of them, but he lets the king live. He lets the animals and the, the good animals, the good cattle and things live. And that's probably not the worst thing that happened. What happens is Samuel finds out about this, and Samuel, God sends Samuel to talk to Saul about it. So Samuel turns up, the man of God, and he says to Saul, Saul, Saul just turns around and he says, I obeyed God. I obeyed God. And Samuel says to him, well, what's all these cattle lowing over here? And so Saul's already told the why. Now guess what he's going to do next? He's going to pass the buck to someone else. So he says, oh, it was the soldiers. It was the people. You know, they, they let a few stray bits and pieces live. So Saul's the king. The buck should have stopped with Saul, but no, he's going to blame someone else. So he's not looking real good at the moment. And Samuel calls him on it. But Saul's just, he's ducking and diving. He's refusing to tell the truth. He really didn't care what God thought. And Samuel, he's heard enough of this. And he just says, stop it. Stop it now. He says, let me tell you what God said to me last night. And this is actually a heartbreaking verse. He says, Saul, although you were once small in your own eyes, Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? God did that. The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. And then Samuel asks a really challenging question. He says to Saul, why did you not obey the Lord? Okay. And in spite of everything that Saul had done up to that point, Saul actually, at that moment, he, he was standing right there at a place of choice. Do you know what Saul could have done? He has a choice. Is he going to just concentrate on looking good in front of the people or does he want God? You see, if he wants God, at this point in time, there is something that Saul needs to do. Saul has to do something if he's going to get God. Saul needed to own up. He needed to say to Samuel, you're right. I did those things. I did it and I was wrong and I'm sorry and I want God to forgive me. And God says if we blow it, we all blow it. If we blow it, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we blow it, the important thing is not that we got it wrong, but that we Talk to God and we say, sorry, I'm so sorry, I blew it. Will you forgive me? And God says yes, and then our slate is clean again. Isn't that beautiful? And Saul could have done that. But what did Saul do? As I've said, he just denied it, just brushed it off. 
He was not interested in the fact God actually said it grieved him. And Saul didn't care about that. Saul just said, make me look good in front of the people. Just make me look good. So he didn't care. Saul didn't care what God thought. And you know what God said? He says, you have rejected my word. So Saul did not receive God's word. He, he just said, no, I'm not interested in what God's got to say. Forget it. And what happened to Saul because he rejected God's word? These are actually really sobering words. It says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. There's no room for a relationship with Saul because Saul just, he wasn't interested in what God had to say. He didn't, he didn't want to know God. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And yet Saul, Saul could have accepted. He could have accepted. And you and I, we get the same choice. Are we going to listen to God's word and receive it? God is so patient with us, you know. When I think of how long it took God with me for me to even begin to understand, I had to put this word in my heart. God is so patient with us. If there is the slightest thing in us that wants to move towards God, God is so patient. He is so patient. He will take years and years to make a man of God because God is patient. And if we hide God's word in our heart and we welcome the word that's able to save our souls, we're working with God and responding to God. I wanted to say today, what happens when we throw music into the mix? Music is actually a really powerful tool. In the, in the account of Saul, Saul couldn't connect with God anymore because he, he, he just didn't want to know God. But there was a young man called David, and they told Saul about David. And David, who later became the king of Israel, he used to spend time with God. He, he sang, he he was, out, he was out in the open places with God and he really worshipped God and he spent time with God. And they sent for David and he played for Saul whenever Saul was troubled by, the whole, by this evil spirit. And it said Saul felt better. And I thought, it's interesting, isn't it? Because all Saul wanted was to feel better. He didn't, he didn't want to be friends with God, but David wanted to be friends with God. I think two totally different men. So music is really powerful. I was preparing this and I was thinking, have you ever been in a time, some of you might identify with this, where it's a time of real darkness. You just feel like you're surrounded by darkness or it could be just the strength of an addiction and it's got a hold on you. You've repented but you can't seem to get the breakthrough. You just can't seem to shake it off. And have you ever spent time just to use the power of music? The Bible says we can use we can use the psalms and we can put them in the song, songs that we sing here at church, some of the old hymns. One of my favorites was written back in 1861. It's a really old one. It's a battle hymn, and I've used it to fight a battle. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Yeah. It says, He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. I'll be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. My God is marching on. And I sing that. And sometimes I've sung that 15 times, 20 times. And you start to see the chinks of light breaking through. And then you can break through the thing and the light shines. And we can do that, you know. Music is a powerful tool. Just as David was able to pray and the evil spirit actually left Saul for a time. 
we can break through. We can break through. And when we got, we're struggling with the darkness, that's the time to press into God. It's the time to keep on pressing in and keep on pressing in until we see the thing broken. Yeah, the darkness can shatter. There are times in God when there are lessons to be learned and we have to be patient in trouble. So it's not a formula that we're throwing in there, but music is a very, very powerful tool. One of my favorite scriptures, and to me, this speaks about friendship with God more than anything else. It speaks of intimacy. God gives us a song in the night. And we all have the night, literal night, times of darkness, times of trouble. But God gives us a song. And I find that such a, it speaks to me so much about God's closeness and God's victory, whether the darkness lifts at the time or it doesn't lift at the time. The fact that we can connect with God and he gives us a song. To me, that's one of the marks of a friendship with God. I love that. Acts 16, 22 to 25. Paul and Silas had been out ministering. They actually cast a demon. There was a woman, a slave girl, who was um, fortune-telling. And they were saying things about Paul that was and Silas that were quite true. You know, these are servants of the Most High God. But Paul didn't like the source where this thing was coming from, and he'd had enough of it. And one day he turned around and he said, get out. And the fortune-telling demon left the girl. And then folks were really annoyed with Paul because the owners of the, the slave girl, they lost their income. And so Paul and Silas, they got beaten, they got flogged, they got thrown into prison, and their feet were in stocks. You know, around about then, I'd be thinking about, I'm going to go home and have a cup of tea now. So they're, they're in jail, and they've been beaten. So what did they do? I love this. About midnight, they were singing, praying and singing hymns to God. I thought, what were they doing? They were, re- they were reaffirming that God was the ruler of their universe. And I reckon they were meeting with God in the secret place. Because wherever you are, you can meet with God. Wherever you are, you can commune with God heart to heart. In the middle of the deepest darkness, we can meet with God. And that is beautiful. Okay, we just, in closing, look at Ephesians 5, verse 8 to 20. I just picked out a couple of verses. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And Paul is giving counsel to these people about how to live. He says, live as children of light. Find out what pleases the Lord. And he's, be very careful how you live. Don't get drunk with wine. And then he gives them an instead. And this is a beautiful thing. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And Paul knew what that was about because he'd done it. He'd done it in a prison. He, he, that was just a natural outcome. And music is a really powerful tool. So if you're struggling this week, folks, if you're struggling, use, use music. Music is personal. Find music that speaks to you. Find some scriptures. If you're struggling with something particular, find some scriptures. If you can't find them, talk to people who can help you find some scriptures and and then put them in your heart. So when the drag of that addiction or the drag of that darkness is on you, you I've got a word for that and I'm going to use it as a sword. I'm going to use it as a rock. I'm going to use it as a fire. I'm going to bring down the enemy, the enemy of my soul that wants to separate me from God. Word is powerful, but You've got to put it in your heart. It's no good having 2,000 2, pages 
if you're dealing with a particular thing, like lack of trust, for example, I use this in my example. No good having 2,000 pages and thinking, where do I go with it? Which is what I did. You've got to find it. Do the work and put it in your heart. And then it's a sword. And you know, our God is a warrior king. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my words. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And that's what God wants. God wants to be friends with us. God wants us to be friends with him. God wants us to live with him. And God wants us to deal with the things that separate us from him. You see, we can't wallow in our sin like, like King Saul did and expect to have a relationship with God. We've got to deal with our sin. But there's ways and there's strategies to do that. And you and I can choose. We can say, well, are we going to be friends with the apple, as Liz said, or are we going to be friends with the apple maker? The God who sustains the universe and he loves us. Every single one of us, his love is on us. And he's drawing us to himself. He's strengthening us by his indwelling Holy Spirit. And we work together. And as we work together with God to deal with these things, it strengthens us. You see, our Father, our Father He's a warrior king. He's the king of the universe. And he is training us. He is training us to, to do battle. He's training us to bring down our enemy. And that is a powerful thing. Thank you.